It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. Yeah. And here we here yeah. we are. It's Carcon Carney. Welcome back to the working week. You know, up until this weekend, we, we said a lot of, oh, man, it sucks being stuck at home. This is really rough. Now we really are stuck at home. If we wanted to, we couldn't exit the front doors because it's piled with snow right outside the door. Yes. Uh, what a night. It is Monday. I'm joined tonight by longtime pal independent comic artist Sal Abenanti, who is a fantastic person who is kickstartering his new graphic novel release, The Hostage. It has hit its goal, and now it's all just up for grabs. Get yourself a copy. Get some of these cool extras. Uh, it's on Kickstarter for the next week plus. Sal, always good to see you. James, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. In, in the post, I or the text I use to promote this on social, I, I included the quote from your graphic novel. This hostage was not born. It was not sent. It was the dream of the kids that never felt sorry for themselves. I just, that, I love that line. Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was important that I didn't that that it wasn't like this was just another comic book that like oh it's like Ghost Rider it's like the Punisher where like this superhero came and saved the day. So and these kids are they're tough kids they're street kids and living on the street kind of fine it, it hones their survival skills to a sharp edge, you know, so they don't really want you to feel sorry for them. They're, they're tough kids. So the book, the hostage, it's about the children of Rio de Janeiro. It's these are street kids who are victims of abject poverty and violence. And they join together to summon the hostage to protect them. We'll talk, we'll, we'll get into this and we've got images from the graphic novel to, to go deep into. Whenever I prepare for an interview cell, I, I go back into my notes, especially if it's someone who I've spoken with before and I see if I have any notes from the last time to key off of. The last time I interviewed you, I didn't realize it was this long ago, was about eight years ago. I was on WGN radio doing yeah. a talk show there. We, sure. we did an interview then. We talked about this book eight years ago in that interview. We you, were, you said you were working on a book about the kids yeah. in Rio de Janeiro. Yeah. It was eight years ago. Yeah. When I opened up my notes, my mind was kind of blown. Like, oh, my God, here we are eight years later and it's finally out. It's, it's been, I mean, I, it's one of those things I started when I was in college. I started when I got back from Rio in, you know, God help us, 1989, 1990. And it was something that I just, James, or just, you know, in life, there are things, some things you just can't unsee. And I couldn't unsee a lot of the things that I saw when I was in Rio. And so I knew I wanted to do something with it as an artist, but yet producing an indie book back then wasn't like it is now. It's much easier to do it now than it was then because there's more, you know, desktop publishing has made it a lot easier. You could go to a printer now and, and get 50 copies. You don't have to do a print run of, you know, a hundred thousand. Right. So I didn't, I didn't, you know, and I was working in advertising at the time when I came back to Chicago, cause you know, you, you I got sick of top ramen. You like to eat three <laughs> times a day, you know, I couldn't live on trail mix and jello anymore. So I was working at Leo Burnett and, you know, cranking on the samples at the same time. But when I wanted to get into comics, I wanted to get into mainstream comics. There was just no way, man. They were not having me because I was not, my style was not, you know, commercial comics, commercial, you know, house style. 
So I knew that, look, I was either was going to be an indie guy or I just was going to go back to drawing storyboards. So uh, I, I just said, you know what? I, I really, the comic thing was something that I had to do. I didn't really want to do it. I had to do it. I get and that. So when you decide you're going to do something indie, the most important thing I felt was to do something personal, do something that's a personal experience because you're going to have way more leverage on that emotionally than you would if it's just a guy with a cape or a, a dog that's got a patch or a pirate or, you know what I mean? Whatever your story is, I found that, look, my style is, is effed up. It's not mainstream. So I want to do something that resonated with an emotional experience of mine. And that's well, where hostage came from. And the epilogue of this book, just to jump right to the end, you recount your personal, I mean, it is about your personal reasons and motivations and it really provides the background for what we read to that point. I want, yeah, I wasn't sure if I was going to, you know, you write a letter, do you do an intro? Do you do it? You know, I didn't want it to be heavy handed, but yet I just kind of wanted to imply, look, I didn't use these kids and this horrible situation of these kids living in the streets as a narrative, just for another comic book, you know, like I know James will use street kids and, you know, we'll give him a dog. That, that was not my motivation. My motivation was this was an experience and this was something that I felt like, man, I, I want to do this as a, as, as a personal comic, as a personal story. And you see my style. It's not, you know, it's not Little Lada. It's not, you know, it's not Archie and Jughead. No. So it, 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 it kind of fitted that. Well, and early on, it, it was almost kind of a meta moment in, in The Hostage. One of the characters says, no birthday parties, new schools or new shoes or school. No one with a cape is coming to save us. That was you saying, yeah, this isn't your typical yeah. comic book you're reading here. This is a, yeah. a totally different experience. Yeah, it's, it's, it's important that because when you, when you see what other countries do with comic books, the vast majority of what they're doing with them are not guys in capes. They call, in fact, that's a term they use in Europe for American comics. They say guys in capes. Most of the comics you see in Asia, in Italy, in Germany, in France, and, and you know, the European publishers aren't superheroes. It's Westerns. It's, it's science fiction. It's just day-to-day -day life stories. It's, it's personal experiences. It's things that don't have anything to do with, you know, the guy's screaming not that there's anything wrong with superheroes because that was my love you know with superheroes but um i wanted it to be clear like you know this was not another superhero comic it is clearly not let's show some of the images from the book it, again this is on kickstarter right now when what's the uh end date for the kickstarter uh we were about 10 days out yeah it's uh, it's going really well i'm i'm very very excited i i i couldn't be uh the response has been tremendous I love that. All right. So we're going to go, I think, to help tell the story of the hostage, we'll go through some of the images and talk sure. about some of the background. And this will also help shine a light on your very distinct style. And really, when it comes to your style, you're right. You're, you're not a mainstream comic style creator. But isn't that a great thing? Like having your like there's the Ebenante, Ebenante style like you. You are your own style. I, I can't think of anyone who looks like what you do or whose work looks well, like what you do. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's, it's, it's a blessing when, if people like it and it's seeds, <laughs> it's a curse when you go to editors and they go, what's, what's wrong with you? You know, are you crazy <laughs> or, or your style, you know, is too disturbing, you know, was what I used to get. 
And it just becomes one of those those things where after you reach a certain age, you realize, hey, look, this is this is who I am and this is what I do. And I tried. I really tried to draw um, more of a house style. I tried to draw, you know, a straightforward uh, commercial type comic books. And it just never turned out that way. It always turned out to look, you know, more expressionist, more abstract. And well, as, as we go through these images from your graphic novel, a, a couple things that I think will be instantly apparent to people, your use of colors. I, I think the colors are, are a very striking a, aspect of what you're doing here. Uh, and the variety of medium mediums you use to illustrate the book. I, at one point you go from full color to what looks like just straight pencils, so like pens and markers and watercolors. It, it's, it's an interesting mix of styles throughout the book. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that comes from, you know, there were, there were artists that I admired, you know, growing up who were tremendous draftsmen, you know, Neil Adams and John Romita mm -hmm. or, or, you know, Jack Kirby or John Buscema, or even the guys I work with like Alex Ross and, and Bill Sienkiewicz. And these guys are tremendous draftsmen. They're, 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 they're great artists with the brush and with, you know, their technical skills. I was never that artist. I was a dirty artist who, uh, dirty style, because when you're in advertising, it's all about speed. It's all about you use whatever you use markers, you use pens, you use turpentines, you use uh, lighter fluid, you use, um, you know, use spatterings because you got to you got to reach your deadlines. And so when I approached the hostage in my own style and I didn't want to use a computer colorist, I felt it was important to just let it fly, you know, to just say, hey, man, I don't really have to answer to an editor. Right. Let me just do my own thing. And given the, the subject matter and given the stuff, I mean, this is a fictional story, but there is some veracity uh, to the story you're telling. It's just the, the lives that these kids lead. Isn't it important to keep this kind of raw and, and yeah. like, no, street, it, it, street level for a lack of a better way of saying it? Absolutely. I mean, it, there were there were parts that I didn't really show it to anybody for a long time because I felt it was important for me to finish it because it, it's, it's kind of a thing that artists do where if you talk about a project too much, it almost replaces doing it. You know, you don't, you don't really, you, you almost complete it in your head, but you never actually get it done. So when I, when I knew I had to, to finish it and I knew I wanted to get it done, I just, I felt I wanted to keep pushing it and pushing it and trying to do different things and trying to make it uh, a little more raw with the colors and with the, the, the expressions of line and different things like that, because I didn't really have anything to, to lose. I knew it was my own project. I, I didn't have an editor or a publisher to answer to. You know? and, th and those guys weren't going to hire me. So it's, it's, there's a tremendous amount of freedom when you know these idiots aren't going to hire you. So. so we're looking at, is this the... That's the end papers of the, uh, yeah, of the, of the um, that would be the opening of the book before you get to the guts of it. So th this is a straight Will Eisner homage, isn't it? More or less. Yeah, I kind of got the idea a little bit from the old movie posters of the 70s. You know, when you'd walk by the Uptown Theater and you had the, the you know, the, the Dirty Dozen or, you know, the Iger Sanction, you always had the, the, the characters jumping out from on top mm -hmm. of the logo. Or from, you know, and that's kind of, you know, I always remember how powerful those uh, those great movie posters were. And again, those colors just pop. Yeah. I want to start with this image. This is one of my favorite images 
or one of the more resonant images from the book to me, just this predominantly black and white design and the very clear blood soaked bodies in the street uh, in the book. Um, it says just short of too late. That's the line that, that kind of hovers above this one. Um, this looks like it took forever to do. Yeah, well, the favelas are are kind of are an or, they're they're up in the hills of Rio, and they're they're a very organic feel because they just kind of build upon themselves. There's there's not a lot of straight lines. There's not a lot of straight perspectives. They're not really designed or laid out to be put up. So I wanted to just imply the type of chaos that that's felt with the favelas, and and yet. The crazier it gets, the more your eye needs a place to go and a place to rest. So I wanted it to be the focus, not to be on the on the architecture as much as the chaos of what these kids endure living in the favelas. One of the things I'm excited about when I, I do get that hardcover delivered, which, I mean, you, you've secured the Kickstarter. It's going to happen. I, I really want to spend time with these pages in front of me because I mean, as I look at it on my screen, like. Every window, every space is occupied by different colors and things up in the top center. There are stars behind some of the windows or, or, or holes. It just it, this this is such a dense amount of work here that I think this rewards repeat viewing. Well, it was it's also a labor of love. I mean, I felt that it was important for me to go in and go to town on certain things, not just for the sake of being redundant, but. I just felt, um, you know, when I when I experienced the favelas in person for the first time, it was it was unlike anything. They were like, they go straight up. They're on top of you. I mean, it was like something out of a, a you know, a, a German, you know, expressionist film. It was something very. And at night, they they change shape altogether. They're almost like a living thing, standing over you. So, I felt it was important to almost make the landscape was was a character in you know in the book, and that's mm -hmm. that's kind of what, what it, this was implied by. And here are the kids. We steal anything of value. We do not have anywhere to eat. We do not have anywhere to sleep. We do not have anywhere to stay. That is why we steal. There's so much going on, particularly in that left panel, the faces kind of blending into the environment. Um, things look upside down. And explain what we're looking at here. Yeah, the, the left side is if you look at the bottom, they're kind of those are the kids, the silhouette of the kids. And that's then again, that's the streets of Rio. That's the streets of the favelas where there's a lot of uh architecture that's built on top of old architecture and there's a lot of old billboards and there's a lot of old street signs that are still there that are covered in different stages of disrepair and again i just wanted to imply there's this there's this beauty this organic kind of beauty where there's almost this overgrowth like you'd find in the amazon but yet it's urban and then you know the 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 drawing it's funny because the drawing on the right the kids the main shot of the kids there that's something that that was one of the original drawings i did conceptual drawings of them wow like over 10 years ago and oh, wow. it was just yeah and i just kind of wanted to again they're they're when you walk down the street and you see these kids they're not i mean they're very intimidating they're not you know but even though they're young i mean the the saddest thing about this a lot of the street kids in brazil is that they're under the age of 10 you know we think of homeless our, our homeless uh, situation in the U.S. is it's it's mostly seen, you know grownups when you walk down the street you see mm -hmm. you know guys that can defend themselves 
these are kids. These are all, you know, small kids that are, that are literally sleeping in doorways, you know, hundreds and thousands of them everywhere. I just, I, I find that the backstory to this so interesting. Just you saw this, you couldn't unsee it. And it, it left such a mark on you. You found a way many years later to finally get, tell this story, mm-hmm. to find a way to, to share this story, share some of the cultural aspects of Rio in this. It just, you, you had a burn on to make this happen. And I think that, that's the beauty of the independent spirit really is just finding a yeah. way. Yeah. To- I, I worried, you know, th- that I'm not from Brazil. I mean, people are always going to criticize when you're not from somewhere that you're doing something about their culture or their city or their problem. And I didn't want to come across as the, you know, the ugly American, you know, poking fun or criticizing Rio. That was not my intention at all. It was just that I just felt, you know, that there was something there that these kids that spoke to me that I felt as an artist, it was important for me to, to do something, you know, other than guys with capes, you know, to, exactly. do, a, to do a book other than, you know, Batman, you know, Wolverine. I mean. Interesting parallel in the book. You've got the kids who are these orphans living in the street. Uh, here are the, the monkeys who come down from the trees. You talk about this in the book. Uh, they're basically orphans too. They're forced from the rainforest, forced to live in the street. Just interesting parallel. It's not just the kids who are suffering or, or thrust into bad circumstance. Yeah, there's a lot of them in living in, in Rio. You know, you don't see a lot of them because they never really come down to the ground a lot except to get food. But in a lot of the, the buildings in a, that are close to the edge of the cliffs and areas of Rio where there's a lot of trees, at night you hear them and you see them. And, and they don't, you don't mess with them because I've seen <laughs> tourists try to, you know, feed them and they'll, they'll come down and they are not, they're not happy customers. They're not, they're not your friendly little, you know, let's feed the monkeys. So I felt it was kind of important to, to include them. And these are some disturbing images. Like, I, I, I don't want this to be the last thing I look at before I go to bed. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. It's like, that's like I said, imagine showing this to editors. They're like, Sal, what are you talking about? <laughs> you want to draw Luke Cage? Were you crazy? You know? They're like, yeah. And all right. Yeah, so just markers, that's straight markers, flare pens, you know, even, even like a lot of uh, highlighters that I find at like the grocery store, I used highlighters. And then I went in and I had uh, my, my letter, guy go in and superimpose the map of Brazil. I wanted to hand draw it, but I wanted the clarity of to, uh, uh, this is at the beginning of the book. I really wanted Mm -hmm. to ground the reader in the idea that, no, this is Brazil you're looking at. I like the contrast too. Yeah. Between your image and the the very clean map image. Uh, Christ the Redeemer, obviously when a lot of us think of Rio, we think of Christ the Redeemer. That's this big looming presence in Rio. And certainly we see that image throughout the book. Talk to me about the importance of this, this icon. Um, It's not a, you know, it's, it it wasn't meant to be terribly religious, but it's hard to not be in Rio and not have that statue, not have an effect off of it's over your shoulder everywhere you go. It's this enormous presence. And there's this, you know, I just always remembered the line from the Bible, you, you know, about, you know, false idols or statues that they have eyes, but they can't see. So that kind of is how I felt about whenever I would talk to the people in Brazil or, or friends of mine that lived there. And I'd say, hey, guys, how do you deal with this every day? How do you walk by these kids and still, 
you know, doesn't it eat at you? Doesn't it tear at you? And they're like, you just kind of have to almost unsee it. You have to go about your day and just almost pretend like they're not there. So that was, that was kind of the sad reality of what I experienced over a lot of people that, you know, are there that they feel for these kids, but yet the, the, the problem has just become out of hand, out of control. And I've heard it's much worse now. I was there in the late 80s. So I've only heard through people I know that have been there and people I've talked to that, that the homeless situation with these kids and the violence has just gotten much worse. So th this is a puddle. That would be a puddle, a puddle of blood and the reflection of the Christ, the Redeemer. And, th and, and then... This yeah, is the police, right? Yes. Well, the police. What happened? There's another in chapter two. There's also a, 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 an unfortunate underbelly in the culture of the homeless kids that they they sniff, they sniff glue to to kill their hunger pains. They do drugs. They do things to kind of alter their reality, to numb their reality, to to make their day to day existence more tolerable. So the the local police, the local. Uh, are starting to move into the favelas more now to eradicate these kids because a lot of the, the homeless kids are, you know, it's gang related and there's a lot of violence. So my idea with this was a lot of the, the, the reality of these kids is altered. Their perception of the world is altered by these drugs that they do by this glue that they sniff. They sniff this horrible glue that kind of kills their brain cells and, and alters you know, how they see things. So to me, I didn't want to perceive the police just as the police coming in and they look like, you know, the men in blue. I wanted them to come, you know, appear the way they would appear to kids that have been living in the streets and they've been doing drugs. And this is kind of their, their warped reality of their, their day-to-day -day battle with these, with these cops. Again, as we're looking at these images, the, the colors and the time spent that, the little details, it, once your eye adjusts to a lot of your panels and pages, Sal, there, there's so much stuff to, to zero in on. It's, it's, it's kind of exciting. Am I looking at watercolors on the left? Yeah, well, yeah, that would be, that would be watercolors. That would be uh, colored pencil. It would be a lot of spattering. It would be use of, of markers. I would go in first with markers and, and some varnishes, some, some matte varnishes and lay them flat and then lay paint on top of that. And just experiment and and use, you know, uh, spraying of varnishes on it to get kind of a muted effect of things. But then also it was important for me for the colors. To, you know, I wanted it to be a character in the book as well, the bright colors, the neon colors. Love it. Now, this is not the finished version of what we see in the book. This is a little touched up in the finished version. This looks like maybe a... Yeah, that graphic. was... Yeah, no, no, that that's that's fi it's finished. There's be there would be blood next to the child yeah. on the right. That's it. That's the a silhouette of the kid on the right on the bottom right there, standing in front of. There's a lot of uh, these beautiful old churches that are abandoned or that are boarded up and they're not in use anymore in in Rio de Janeiro. And as you pass a lot of them, they're these kind of haunted. There's there's squatters living in them in some of them, and they're kind of these relics of the past. And there's a lot of homeless people living in them and a lot of the kids hang out there and they, they gather there. So this was a sequence that I just felt was important to kind of go to town on and convey some of the old religions of the past that are kind of now uh, dying. And the text in the finished version, 
They say if a child dies in an evil place, their soul will wander in the dark forever, never finding his ancestors. Yeah. And this really, this is like your George Perez moment here. All the, this big amount of detail everywhere you look. Yeah, you know, you you don't want to uh, you don't want to kind of fall in love with yourself when you do stuff like this because you have the tendency to want to. Oh, I know what I'll do, and you know, it's the you know the Cree scrawl war, you know, <laughs> and draw a thousand ships. But this was an early, originally I, I, I wanted the book to be black and white, but then as I moved forward, I felt uh, it was more important. The colors were more important, but this was a, a double page spread that I finished and I really liked it and I wanted to include it. So yeah. it's almost a rest stop moment after one of the, the children is murdered that he takes, he doesn't know what to do with his friend. So he leaves him on the stairs of the church, uh, kind of a la James Cagney in Public Enemy. I, I love this spread right here. And you just said something that I think is worth, worth talking about that you planned for this or in your head, you thought this would be black and white. And through the process of just creating building, you decided, well, I'll play with color. And it, now here we are at the finish line and color is such an important part of this finished product. Mm-hmm. Like it's just interesting how creativity evolves and directions change. The more you dig into it, the more you immerse yourself into your project. Well, that's what's great about being an indie, you know, uh, artist is that you just feel like, you know what, there really aren't any rules. You just let it fly. And as long as it fits what you're doing and there's a there's a narrative throughout the center of it that tells the story that's not, you know, the you know, crazy visuals and all this is great. But if, if there's not a, a, a single narrative that you're able to follow it just becomes too chaotic. And, and I was, I kind of were on the, I was on the edges of some of that for a while where I thought, man, this is great, but if they don't know what's going on, it, it defeats the purpose. So right. this I felt was important that, you know what, I'm going to let, I'm going to leave this in black and white because it, it, it allows the, you know, the reader kind of a place to rest for the story to kind of stop and, and, you know, things to kind of cool off a little bit. This is so. This is actually yeah. It, these are two pages we're looking at. Yeah, that, that is uh, that, that's that's a single page spread where the police are moving in and they shoot uh, they shoot a lot of tear gas in, and that's kind of the smoke going down the alleyway, uh, one of the the narrower streets in Rio, um, and where the hostages on the other side of the smoke. Yeah, and that would be him coming out of the other side of the smoke. Again, the use of color, the the greens, the purples, the reds, the yellows. One thing I, I noticed throughout the graphic novel is these old signs or images that are kind of plastered into the background. What what are these things you grabbed? Are these signs from Rio? Did you recreate them? Did you grab them from somewhere else? I found that you know older parts of Rio that I were that I was in, there was again a lot of this old. This, this fascinating old uh, billboards that were still kind of stuck or trapped between buildings or trapped underneath stucco. And I saw some of them and they were these great old, you know, uh, 50s, 60s, 70s rerun theaters, you know, that we used to have when we were growing up, you had a lot of these second run theaters. Mm-hmm. And so when I started to research the hostage, I, uh, to get source material, I found a lot of libraries were throwing everything away. And and about 10 years ago, all the libraries just decided we're throwing all these art books out. We're throwing all these newspapers out. So I found an old library in Rio that was throwing out all their newspapers. 
from the fifties and sixties. So I, I, for like a hundred bucks, they sent me like three big boxes of these old, yeah. Yellow newspapers from Rio. And they had these, tri- these great old movie. I remember when we were growing up, James, when oh, you, yeah. wanted, you wanted to see a movie, you had to look in the paper to see what was playing at the uptown or what was playing. At, Absolutely. You know, and that's what these were. There were a lot of these old movie uh, advertisements. And, and so I thought, it was important for me to, to also include things that were not in English so that people uh, who are from Brazil or Brazilian people that might want to read it would see it and recognize it right away. I, I Like I said, I noticed this stuff throughout the book, and it's subtle in a lot of places, but it it's something that I, I think truly adds to the texture and feel of what you've created here. A lot of it, too, was was out of a sense of respect. This was this here. This is Bill Sienkiewicz. Bill was always uh, he's a dear friend of mine and we've worked together for a long time. And when I put you know, when I was going to tackle the book, I said, Bill, uh, I really would like you to do something. And he said, sure. And uh, I, he's like, well, what do you want? And I said, look, you know what? I'm going to send you the book. And I've learned never to art direct especially mm-hmm. guys like Bill Sienkiewicz. You don't really want to art direct too much. And I said, Bill, this is what the story's about. It's in Rio de Janeiro and it's the street kids and it's the favelas. And he goes, okay, I got it. I know what, I, I got something. And then this is inevitably what he, uh, he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, oh, it's terrible, Bill. And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> I'm like, so it was important for me to have, you know, to see if other what other artists might think of or flesh it out. So I was really I was really fortunate to have uh, Bill and a few other friends of mine that are artists contribute. But what's interesting about this thing that Sinkevich did, it really did capture your story. It captured everything like it's a great representation. It's not so far afield or off the reservation that it doesn't yeah. make sense. Like this is so consistent with with the book, it's just, he did it. Not surprisingly, he's Bill Sienkiewicz, but he did a fantastic job. Yeah. I, he, he's, yeah, he's tremendous. And I, and I have to say, I owe a, a tremendous debt to him because I've learned so much from him as an artist, just not so much, you know, nuts and bolts or recipes, but just philosophy wise to, to always try to surprise yourself, to always try to stretch what you're doing, to never feel that you need a straightforward narrative you know, to tell a story. And, and that's kind of always, that had a profound effect on me when I started to show him some of the pages and I said, Bill, what do you think? And he was like, you stretch it more, exaggerate more. Uh, uh, don't be ever be afraid to, to do more. And I thought, you know what, as, as an artist, it's like, it's true because at the end of the day, you know, it's your name on it. If they hate it, it's because, you know, Sal doesn't know what he's doing. If they love it, it's because, Oh, Sal's a, a weird artist. So. And I'm going to share the uh, the screen of what your Kickstarter page looks like. So here it is. This is the Kickstarter. It is live until the 25th next week. Uh, there's a video where we can see you talk some more. Um, yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about what people can get. Let, um, let, let, let's drive some business to the hostage here. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I wasn't really, I, I, this is my first Kickstarter. I didn't know a lot about it, but I knew that when, when I was going to put the uh, the hostage out, it was pre-COVID. And then once COVID hit, I thought, wow, you know, comic stores are, are not open and things are not the way they were. But 
I saw what some indie, a lot of indie creators were doing on Kickstarter, that you're able to show a video and describe what you're doing and to show images and to let people who want to possibly get, you know, support, they can kind of, you know, they can walk through the book a little bit. They can, they can dip their toe in a little bit. So, but you also need perks and stretch goals. So I felt it was important to get artists whose style was more indicative of, of the, the, you know, the story or of the subject matter. So Alex Ross was, was great enough to contribute a piece and Jeff Darrow, uh, you know, just tremendously talented artist. And of course, Bill Sienkiewicz and um, Eric Powell and um, the, the legendary uh, monster, famous monster artist, um, San Julian. It's amazing. You know, was, I was always in a, a huge fan of it. He was one of the first guys, you know, to, that when I described it to him, he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Great. Sal, I know what you want. And I'm like, okay. And then um, Jeffrey Allen Love is another artist who has a very unique graphic style that I was drawn to when I first uh, ran across him. So there's perks, there's lithograph packages, there's um, uh, uh, sketchbook packages. I offer the, the book as a PDF in English and in Portuguese. If, That's a nice if, touch. Brazilian readers want to read it. But I also felt it was important to offer original art by me. So if you bought a version of the book, it comes with a hand-drawn, hand-painting, uh, not just, you know, something that's mailed in, but, you know, cards that I've spent a lot of time on. I so love that. Yeah, I, I, it's important. It was important to me that if somebody wanted to support this book, especially an indie title, because anything indie is tough, because most comic stores, unfortunately, don't buy into independent comics and and most comic fans you know there's a lot of brand loyalty with comics everybody has their 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 newports and their cools and their marlboro <laughs> you know and and their viceroy they don't want to buy into you know indie, independent titles so for, for someone to give an indie title a break is it, i just wanted to show my appreciation I love that. So you see all the different rewards as we're scrolling through the Kickstarter here. Uh, we talked about the lithographs. There's the Alex Ross lithograph uh, limited. Only a handful of those remain. Yeah. We showed the Sienkiewicz lithograph uh, that is available. Just really cool, collectible stuff. And this is one of a kind stuff. The book itself, I mean, real simple, the hardcover edition, a value at any price sale, 35 bucks. I mean, come yeah. on. It's a well. We were starting out as a, as a, originally as a soft cover, but because we hit our goal, what's really cool. The thing that excited me most about hitting the goal, not only being able to put the book out, was we were able to do it as a hardcover slipcase. So it went from being a soft cover regular graphic novel to a hardcover, you know, slipcase with a lot of extras and a lot of uh, the presentation of it is really uh, the the paper and the printer we're using is is uh, it's great stuff. So I'm very excited about that. A topic I, I find myself coming back to a lot on this podcast is entrepreneurship. And I mean, th that's exactly what we're talking about here. I mean, this is all about the hustle. This is all about making stuff happen for yourself. And well, I think there's a lesson that we can all learn well, from. COVID, you know, James, you know, COVID forced us all to pivot, you know, and, and, but yet we still have our passions. But what I noticed a lot of comic creators doing were that, uh, we're doing this. And, and as a comic creator or as a musician or as an artist, it, what you want more than anything is that one-to-one. -one. You want that ability to talk to the sure. consumer, to talk to the art, you know, to talk to people who are into it and be able to not have a pub to go through a publisher or to go through, you know, when I put out 
you know, Atomica, you just basically ran. Yeah. I mean, you ran an ad in Diamond and you waited for your orders to come. And unless you went to cons and met people directly and were able to talk to them, you weren't able to meet the fan base. You weren't able to kind of let the fan base look at your work and give it a shot and make a determination for themselves. But what's cool about Kickstarter is it is that comic people can you're getting it directly from the creator. And when I started to see Todd McFarlane and Brian Polito and, and Jimmy Palmiotti and the guys over at Boom Studios putting their stuff on on with Keanu Reeves as as the subject matter, I'm like, they don't they're not doing it for the money. You know, they're doing it because because of covid your 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 operate your operating procedure is everything is thrown out the window. There are no more rules anymore. So I was very reluctant with Kickstarter because, you know, Kickstarter was like outside of my comfort zone. But once Mm -hmm. I saw you can make a video, you could show the work, you can give samples of the work and I could actually kind of present it to you in a more effective way. I was on, I'm like, you know what, let's try it, you know, because I'm an indie creator and with indie creators, it's all about the hustle. Yes. Because if you get into being an indie comic artist, James, for the money, <laughs> God bless you. Because, you know, you better do it because you love it. You it, know? It, would be, it would be like getting into podcasting for the money. Or you, you better do it because you love it. I mean, because being an artist, and, and to me, an artist is a musician, an architect, a dancer, a writer. What you do, you're an artist because you're, you're, you have to have a creative side. You have to have a sense of a creative flow or a need to do what you do, or you wouldn't do it. Right. But if you're not going to, it's like running off and joining the circus. The circus doesn't need you, man. You need the circus. You know, you get there and the circus is like, we're full. But, you know, you got it. You have to be, and I have to do this. I don't really have a choice. You need the circus. You know, things are I so different now. We've known each other for many years. In, in the time we've known each other, things have changed so much. And you, you mentioned how comic shops are different. How different are they now? I mean, in a world where people read a lot of comics on their tablets, you can download graphic novels on Hoopla and Amazon Prime and everything else. How important is the role of the local shop? It's I, for me, it's, it's paramount. The same with uh, the, the role of the indie creator. For me, the, for me, comics needs indie creators and indie writers more than ever, because I believe that you, lo- you look at what, no offense to Marvel and DC, what they're creating is becoming narrower and narrower. It's becoming license driven. They care very much about the characters. They're always going to care more about Batman than they do about the artist that's, that's, you know, drawing Batman. The local comic stores, unfortunately, you know, print is print and comics are getting kind of squeezed in from all sides because people are now under the delusion that because Avengers makes a billion dollars, that somehow that trickles down into comics. And it's unfortunate. It just doesn't. You know, there are not enough people going to comic shows that are actually buying comics. They've become entertainment shows, which is fine. I mean, we used to bitch when we had to go to the Holiday Inn basement, you know, and flip through quarter boxes mm-hmm. to find back issues of the Eternals. And and now you've got Comic-Con, which is, you know, like the Con Film Festival. That's terrific. That's putting a lot of spotlight on the licensed stuff, on the big guys. But it, from in my opinion... The true creators, you know, true creators, true artists, true writers that are out there now, we need you, man. I mean, we need indie titles. We need new characters because Warner Brothers is just going to keep going to Batman. 
Mm-hmm. And the Avengers have become, I mean, Marvel's become that 900 pound gorilla where they're just going to keep going to the well until the well is like what they did with Star Wars. They beat Star Wars till it wasn't cool anymore. And then they moved on to the next thing. But it's unfortunate that most people that go to see a comic book movie don't realize that it's the source material is a comic book. You know, and the fans of Black Panther don't realize he was created by two Jewish guys. It's true. <laughs> the value, you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer my own question on this or in my own way. The value to me of comic shops, kind of along the lines of what you're saying, people don't know if they see an Avengers movie, what that source material is. The value of a comic shop, as opposed to digging around online, is that curation, walking in and saying, hey, I saw that Black Panther movie. What's the best way for me to dive into that character? What would, yeah. what would you recommend? Having that person, I, I think curation is a lost art with music, and it certainly is, I think, with comics. I, I think someone to kind of guide you and say, come, friend, you're, you're in our house now. Yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me show you yeah. things. Because otherwise, if you, were to die, if you were to see one of these movies for your first time, if you were to watch WandaVision and think, I think I want to find the Scarlet Witch comic, yeah. good, good luck figuring out where to start on right. that. But I think well, the value and, of a comic and, and, shop is is helping steer people. It's unf- and 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 to, for me, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you feel the same. I mean, comics are a textile thing. I need to have a comic in my hand. I need that 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 feel of it to be able to open it up and to kind of explore the narrative in such a way that you know the artist Jack Kirby laid a page out where the panel was meant to move you to the next panel. The page layout was meant to move your eye through it. It was almost like you know he was a Renaissance painter with his compositions. You lose a lot of that with the iPad. You lose a lot of that with stuff that's online. And I, I live in the real world that because my kids, my God, it's all about the iPad. You know, it's about they've moved on from that. But comics are still important because it gets kids to read. I mean, kids don't want to read anymore. Kids just that's love- how I learned to read. I swear to God, Sal, when I was a kid, I think a lot of my reading ability, I think a lot of my vocabulary came from reading comics. Yeah. I, I truly believe to that. articulate in your vocabulary. If you're not reading, it's hard to get kids to read nowadays. I mean, anything. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where in Europe, when you see the way comics are revered over there, they're seen as a true art form. They're seen as a true art. And here we, there's still that comic book. They, they, they think of it as like, Oh, it's, it's kind of this. My mother was, was waiting for me to grow out of it, you know, until I was 40. She's like, when are you going to get a real job? You know, when are you going to, when are you going to, because that whole, just a name comic book it's mm-hmm. you know it's for kids or something and, and i disagree entirely yeah i said it earlier in the interview I, i'm looking forward to holding the graphic novel and digging in because i've looked at it i mean this is exactly what you're saying i've looked at it as a pdf i've looked at it on a tablet for me i i actually prefer reading prose books on a tablet i prefer that to an actual paperback yeah. book but yeah. when it comes to graphic novels and comics i prefer the the OG the the tactile yeah paper paper based product it's it's I don't I don't want to be one of those guys who's like oh you can't this way or you can't I'm like I get it if people like to re- me personally I can't watch movies on my laptop I mean on my my I see people on the phone looking oh, no. watching movies on a plane you know I I don't get it I can't do it I know a lot of people that do and it's and God bless them but. For me, comics have always been about the printed medium. You know, it's it's you you move through it at your own pace, and it's the page, it's the paper, it's the color. But you know, and the collector in me just I, I like having something on the shelf. When it comes to graphic novels, I like seeing yeah. 
all the binding. I like seeing it all lined up. I like yeah. seeing Eternals Volume One, Eternals Volume Two, right, next to each right. other on the shelf. Yeah, obviously, it's the collector in me yeah. like having that stuff yeah. to hold after I've consumed it. I try to turn my kids onto it, and it's it's like it's like giving a cat a bath. James, they just they, they they want no part of comics as much as I wish they would, or just lie to me. You know, I mean, my father tried to turn me on to jazz. And I couldn't stand it until I reached a certain age. And then I, I got it. You know, it was like I understood Charlie Parker. And I understood. But as a kid, sometimes you don't really have, you know, th there's something there that doesn't really, you know, you don't get the code of it or something. And all of a sudden, when you get that code, you know, when I was a kid, a young kid, I hated Kirby until I couldn't stop reading Kirby, you know, and then I, and then I got Kirby. And then he meant, you know, he meant everything to me as an artist. Uh I'm wearing Jack Kirby right yeah, now. Yeah, he's I, he's. Uh, trust me, we're gonna look back at Jack Kirby, you know, like like that Woody Allen movie where he's gonna be revered as one of the greatest artists of the 20th century. And I, I can't see how he's not. I, I, you know, I'm t he's just. We're gonna look back and go, my God, what were we thinking? What were <laughs> we thinking by not? You know, there, there there's there's not a you know like like you know he say in the God you know like he says in the Godfather, there's not a statue or a plaque of this guy anywhere. You know, there ought to be because his his, you know, his contribution to the art form is it, for me, there was always Kirby and everybody else mm -hmm. because so, of his exaggeration, his contributions to the art form and to popular culture. Yeah. And he teaches you as an artist to exaggerate, you know, to to take to take everything. And it's it's comics. It's supposed to be twisted. It's supposed to be it's not supposed to be perfect. If you draw a spaceship, make it up. I mean, that's what we did when we were kids. You made it up. You used it was a product of your imagination. We don't I think you don't get enough of that now or when I when I approached the hostage, that's what I stole from Kirby was just to exaggerate, was just to try to make things larger than life. I love it. All right. So the hostage is available on Kickstarter right now. It's gorgeous. The story is incredibly engaging. The backstory is super interesting as well. Uh you are not a mainstream comic artist, and that is to your credit. You are an independent spirit with your own distinct flair, style, and, and method of storytelling, which I think people need to see. Uh, so, you know, I appreciate I, I love talking to you. James, I, I, I can't tell you how much I thank you for having me on. And, and I see your, your, your rogues gallery of guests, and I'm like, my God, it's like <laughs> it's, it's crazy who you get on there. I well, mean, here's the, I, occasionally I luck out. It, it is more of a rogues gallery. It is more weather wizard. Yeah, Captain but Cole. you're still you're like you know, you're like Johnny Carson. You know, you've got that that vibe of Chicago radio from forever. I mean, I still hear your voice, and I still think of you know Q101 or when I used to stay up late and work, and I'd hear your voice on the radio, and it still it, it still resonates. I mean, you could jump in there today and wouldn't miss a beat. Thank yeah. you. That's very nice. But I mean, yeah. similar to, to your situation and here, I, I always do this. I start to wrap it up and then I go somewhere else. Um, but similar to your situation, you tried to go the traditional big publisher route, but instead you found your own way to make, make stuff happen for yourself. I, I'm still in radio. I still do a show on the weekend, but here I am. I'm doing radio on my own terms, basically every night from yeah. home. And it, why? Well, what's your motive? I mean, to what end? Because you love it. I mean, it's in right. your blood. You don't really have a choice. I mean, it's what you do. I mean, you have to do it. You're, you're bitten by a vampire. You know, <laughs> that's it. I mean, yeah, this is this is what I, I mean. You knew from an early age you wanted to be in comics. I knew from an early age I wanted to be around music and wanted yeah. to be in broadcasting. So I found a way to keep doing it. And if I if I can't do it full time, 
on a traditional radio station. Oh, fuck it. I'll do it from home. Yeah. No. And you and you and look, the most important thing is you love it and you're really, really good at it. So you're always going to have an audience and you're always going to have people that are going to come and see whatever. you do. I mean, I, I watch your show and I don't even know who you're talking to. And then I find out and I go, oh, OK. And then I'm checking a lot of times I'm looking up music from guys I don't really necessarily know. And I'm like, that makes me really happy. Cool. That yeah, makes me happy. Cool. The guy from Tomahawk you had on the other. Oh, day. Yeah. I had no idea. I mean, I, I heard, but I didn't. I remember, you know, from the Metro and Smart Bar and all the years of haunting those clubs, you know, back, you know, when, when I, you know, I was, you know, 100 pounds lighter, you know, and I'm like, you look up guys and you go, man, you know, I sure this guy's great. Yeah, yeah that, that interview in particular, that was Dwayne Dennison. Dwayne uh, Dennison. Yeah. Guitarist from the Jesus Lizard. Tomahawk, his band with Mike, Mike Patton of Faith No More, who's also yeah. in a million other bands. Uh, Dwayne's great. He's he's a music scholar. He's one of the best guitarists, I swear to God, of the past 30 years. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love that. Like, that's kind of the idea. That's that's the idea. This goes back to curation, Sal. This goes back to, OK, I'm, I may it, people may not know who you are, but I yeah. hope that the goal in doing these interviews is I hope that by the time someone's done watching this or listening to it, they think that guy's kind of interesting. That book sounds kind of cool. Like the, the goal is to curate and let people know, Hey, I found this cool thing. I hope you like it too. It's the arts. You know, to me, it's all the same music, acting, dance, architecture, For sure. it's all the arts, you know, it's like, I'll explore stuff music wise that I've never heard and find out, Hey, this is really cool. You know? And, and that's why I was so grateful for you. You know, when you just, you know, said you could have me on. Oh, go on. All well, right. I don't, so- no, I don't take, you don't take it for granted. You know, it's just because anytime you've got something that's your baby, it means yeah. a lot to you. You don't order. You never assume that, you know, everybody else is going to be on board, too, because, you know, it's something you've got to really, really get the word out. Yeah. And you're more you're you more know, delicate when it's your own thing. Absolutely. You know, it, it's it's when it's your own baby, you know, it's it's and it's something really personal. You, you're, you're out on the branch further than if you were just, you know, drawing, you know. The Hulk or something. You're like, eh, the Hulk. You know, what do you All right. Sal Smash, uh, thank you again. Right. That's right. <laughs>